Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you here today. Well, happy Palm Sunday to you. It is the beginning of what we call in the ecclesiastical world Holy Week. And it's my hope that this Sunday would be a springboard to you finding God in a more significant way in your life, not just for this week, but as, as a, kind of a primer for the entire rest of your life, that we grow from this into something else. Turn with me over to the book of Mark. We're going to highlight Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The title of the message is Palm Sunday, Inspection Day. Inspection Day. Mark 11, verses 9 through 11. Christ's entry into Jerusalem. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 11. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. Lord, help us, we study. Two things I'd like to highlight from this passage. One, the people's surface supplication. They were crying out to him, but it was on the basis of what they knew they needed. And then, Christ's intentional survey to the core that he wasn't interested so much about what was on the surface as he wanted to get down to what needed to be dealt with let me give you the backdrop the crowds were building this is at least Jesus I don't know 12th 13th time to Jerusalem having been anointed by John the Baptist at the River Jordan as the one who would minister in a messianic way Every year, he had to come to three feasts. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Booths, and the Feast of Weeks. So that meant three trips to Jerusalem, and that he lived in Galilee, which was about 90 miles north. And every time he went down, he had 90 miles. So it would take about a week, week and a half in a caravan. But this seemed to be the most consequential moment. Every time he was there, he would teach. Miracles would happen through his hands. And he would confound the ruling leaders of the day in their religious hypocrisy. They couldn't stand Jesus. They wanted somebody else to appear at the feasts other than him. Because every time they tried to catch him in a lie, he would catch them in their own lie. Their deception turned back on them. And so these weren't happy times for the ruling elite in the religious world whenever Jesus would come. Yet, every time he would come, he would seem to garner the attention of the populace. People would flock to him because they really didn't like the religious elite. They were hypocritical, meaning the religious elite, and they were requiring more things from the populace than the populace could really give. They'd create more laws than what Moses had, and there were a bunch of them that God gave to Moses. Yet, the religious leaders would even make more upon that. Everybody knew you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. But then the religious leader said, well, let me tell you what work is. Work is, nine, work, work, work is ten stitches, not nine. So if you sew ten, not nine, then you've worked. 
Work is 51 steps, not 50. So if you walk 51 rather than 50, you've worked that day. And it would go on and on and on. And this is why Jesus came intentionally doing things that would get under the religious institution's craw, in their craw, because he wanted to stop all the hypocrisy that was going on. So he'd do things on the Sabbath, like heal people. And the religious folk would be mad. And in Jesus' mind, he's thinking, well, why didn't you heal her on Tuesday then? Well, 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 why are you mad at me for healing her on the Sabbath? If your animal, your sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, are you going to leave it there to die? Because it's a day when you do no work? Or are you going to pull it out because it needs help? So this one has been in a pit for too long and needs to be brought out today. Their hypocrisy was leading them before they appeared. Everything about who they were was legendary and Jesus was confounding them. So now everybody was kind of, after three years plus of coming down to Jerusalem, it seemed like this moment was the pinnacle. Jesus was at the apex of his ministry and everybody wanted to see him ascend to the throne. They knew he was a son of David and the Messiah had to be a son of David the king. Now it didn't mean that Jesus was actually the next generation from David. But they drew the line all the way back, umpteen generations to David, because the Messiah had to come from his loins. And indeed, Jesus traced his messianic uh, heritage back to David. And so it was important for the people to know that and to have a sense of timing. Boy, he's done this for a while now. I think this is the moment. And everybody was looking for Jesus to do something when he went to Jerusalem other than what he had already done, which was pretty fantastic. So this would be trumping everything that he had done. So the crowds were building. And if you will, it was election year. And so people were trying to figure out, how can I get on this guy's bandwagon? Because he's going to win. He's an amazing human being. He's a prophet, yet he's in the lineage of David. And we don't know any prophets of, of Old Testament writ who have ever been of the lineage of David. So Elijah was fabulous, but he wasn't of the lineage of David. Elisha was twice as fabulous, but he wasn't of the lineage of David. Isaiah was great in his articulation and writing things down, but he wasn't of the lineage. This one seems to do everything they did and more, and yet he's got some kind of kingly presentation about him, a, a, a heritage, a, a, something that commends him as being able to sit on the throne. Woo-hoo. This could be really special. I better get on the bandwagon so I can get a job. I need to work. I, I want to be in his administration. So this is the time. Vote for Jesus. Lord, do what you do. I'm with you. People were calling out from the crowd. One said, I will follow you wherever you go in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. How do you like me now? And he wasn't saying he had no place to sleep. He had a place to sleep. Not only could he bed down at an inn any time he wanted, but he had a home. You look in Mark chapter 2, it says, the disciples came to the home where Jesus was. It's in Capernaum. And how do I know that that was probably his home? Well, Jesus' daddy natural surrogate father was off the scene he wasn't there 
or maybe I should say adoptive father. He wouldn't have Joseph had gone. He probably passed away from old age. And so the eldest son, or maybe the only son, was responsible to make sure mama had a place to live. Do you actually believe the son of God would have his mama homeless? Mm. That wouldn't commend him very well. Therefore, he lived with his mama because that's what sons were to do when they weren't married, to care for their mama. So he had a house. It wasn't an issue of whether he could lay his head down every night. The issue was the head represented authority. I come to a people that should receive my authority, but when I come to them, they won't. They won't take me as their head. Birds have nests. Foxes have holes in the ground, dens. I have no place. I know you think I'm going to rule, but it's not going to work out like you think. I am going to rule, just not like you think. So please follow me. Let me rephrase what I just said. Now, that's not in there, but I imagine that's what went through the man's mind. Wait, 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 are you saying you're not going to rule? Well, well, let me retract. I'll follow you most places you go. (laughs) Just not every place now. Everybody was trying to figure out how they could be a part of what Jesus wanted to do. But they didn't know exactly what he wanted to do. They assumed what he should do and wanted to follow. As a result, the crowds were building. They they were about to approach Jericho. And there was a man there named Bartimaeus. He was blind. And the crowds were building. And oh, he couldn't see it. He could hear the commotion. And he he had heard about this Jesus. And he started crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples were disturbed. They thought, stop bothering this man. He's on a mission. He's got stuff to do. He doesn't have to listen to a beggar. Doesn't have time for this. And Jesus, for the most part, said to the disciples, you stop bothering him about bothering me. (laughs) Called him to him. Bartimaeus, what do you want? He said, I want to see. Jesus said, okay. A man who was blind after Jesus prayed for him, now saw. That'll build some crowds. that'll, That'll capture people's attention. He just healed a man born blind. A man who nobody has, everybody knows, hadn't seen for a long time. He healed him. Wow, he's special. Then he enters into Jericho. And there's a man named Zacchaeus. Infamous. Chief tax collector in the city. Which meant he was over all the other tax collectors. Which meant he not only skimmed off the top, he skimmed off the top top. Tax collectors were hated by Jews, and especially if they were Jewish, because they were seen to be traitors. They were taking from the Jewish people and giving to the Roman Empire. And here Zacchaeus was a Jew, was taking from the Jewish people and then taking more than he should from the Jewish people. So he was taking what Rome required and then taking more than Rome required for himself. He was a legal thief. He comes, Jesus comes into the city, Zacchaeus can't. See him because he's short and the crowds are really, really large. And so he gets up in a tree. Jesus sees him in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, calls out his name. I'm going to eat at your house today. Zacchaeus gets so excited, but the religious people are mad. Hot. How can this holy man, supposedly holy, go to eat at the house of a sinner? This proves he's not right. This man is hated by our entire community. This isn't right. Spread the word. Jesus is a hypocrite. Jesus goes to the man's house as soon as he enters. Zacchaeus says this. "Um, 
I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to, I'm going to give everybody fourfold whatever I've taken from them. And I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. He was the chief tax collector. Was there anybody in Jericho he hadn't taken money from? Started an economic revival in Jericho. You talk about a tax refund. Four times what he had taken. That's better than Publishers Clearinghouse showing up to your home. Four times. And then half of what he, came, what he had, all of his wealth, he gave to the poor. Afterwards, I imagine the Jewish leaders were saying, I have some other tax collectors I'd like you to visit. <laughs> Crowds build again. People question, why would he go to eat at that man's house? Afterwards, they said, oh, that was a good idea. I like him a lot. More crowds begin to build. And as he's entering Jerusalem, everybody feels a moment. Hosanna! And that term was reserved for one. Now they would use it a lot. Every time they would come for the Passover, they would, they would pray this kind of prayer. They'd have songs around what Hosanna meant, but they would sing them to the Lord. Save now, Lord. That's what it meant. Save now. And so there were mantras that would be sung by the populace as crowds would converge on Jerusalem from all over the area. And they'd come in through a certain gate and they'd be singing these songs together. It was beautiful. But now they weren't talking to the sky. They were talking to him. It had never been sung about somebody. Hosanna, save now. We know you can do it. And he was going to do it. Just not how they thought. And don't we want God to save us out of our situations? I mean, we want him to save now. Save my money situation now, Lord. Save my job situation now. The business isn't doing what I thought it should do. Could you please turn around my little local economy so my, my, my position will be saved? Don't let me get laid off, Lord. Save my marriage, Lord. Save now my child. He's going crazy. Lost his mind. Save him, Lord. We always pray, and I, I'm glad about that. At least we have somebody to talk to on, who has power and ability and knowledge to yes, fix the things that are wrong in our life. Please talk to him like that. But don't be mad when he goes further than your request. <laughs> you have a 16-year-old who's gone nuts? Yes, Sometimes you just can't hold it in. You just, you just got to say, that's me. That's me. <laughs> Don't be surprised when God says, I'm going to fix him by fixing you. <laughs> Parents... Raising children is not about growing them up. It's about you growing up. God will answer your prayer. Just don't be surprised when he doesn't answer it the way you want. 
save now, Lord. Fix this now, okay? You're not going to like the remedy, but I'm going to do it. It's going to surprise you the way I'm going to do it. But the remedy is going to be better than how you imagined. And it's going to work out better than how you ever dreamed. And they not only said they, they wanted him to save now, save us, their cry was, from Rome. Save us from Herod, who is a wicked ruler, doesn't care about us at all. Herod happened to be kind of the, the, the ruler of the Jews, but he was sort of a puppet of Rome, but he wasn't even Jewish. He was Idumean, which stemmed from the tribe of Esau way back, who was Jacob's brother. So he wasn't even a Jewish ruler. He had no vested interest in their heritage. And he was immoral. He was a bad leader. It was bad. And then on top of that, then you had Rome, which was even more oppressive. And Pilate, who had very little love lost for any of the nation of Israel or Judea. And so they were asking for help. Help, Lord, deliver us. We're not supposed to be the tail. We're supposed to be the head. We're not supposed to pay tribute to anybody. We're supposed to be the lender, not the borrower. Help us, God. Save now. That's what you are to do, Messiah. Set up your throne. Come in and kick out these rulers, these usurpers, and set up something that has unparalleled peace and prosperity, whose kingdom will never end, whose borders will always expand, and whose authority will never be challenged. Set up the messianic throne. That's what they thought. And then they cried it even more to, to, to try to, to get some, some greater definition. Save in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Save to the uttermost. That wasn't talking about elevation. That's just talking about save until there is nothing left to save. Save all. Save all. And so I don't even know what they were, if they knew what they were saying. But God did. And we want him to save to the uttermost. We don't want his salvation to touch, to not touch every area of our life. But we do have preferences. Ultimately, theologically, we don't want it to not touch every area of our life. Salvation, the Greek word is sozo, which means complete salvation. Body, mind, soul, spirit, all that you are. Everything that you touch, your, your entire sphere. The salvation of God is to touch all of those realms. Every bit of it. But when he begins to touch the areas that we didn't think need touched. No, no, I, I wanted you to say that. I, no, you, you, you didn't have, no, I was doing fine with my boyfriend. I wanted you to say this. Go ahead. No, Lord, I, I had a great career path. I, I knew exactly where I should go. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to touch that at all. That was good. I was good there. What I wanted you to touch was my lack of money. That's where I need salvation. I need help there, please. Not, no. You want me to go to India to be a missionary? That's not what I was thinking about when I said save completely. Oh, really? You, you, you don't want me to, you don't want me to go to the clubs with my, f Lord, you mean there's different music you want me to listen? 
can, can we dialogue? Can we have a sit down and talk? Because I'm, I didn't know this salvation thing meant you were going to touch my desire for alcohol. I, I, di- I didn't know. No amens on that point, I hear. <laughs> I don't have a problem with you drinking. I got a problem how you drink, where you drink. I don't have a problem with you drinking. Enjoy. Just don't get drunk and don't let anybody stumble over what you drink. Not an area, not an area where his salvation should not touch your attitudes, what you watch on TV, how you process life, not an, not saved to the uttermost. So they were hollering and screaming, laying down palm branches. That's where we get it because they did not feel the Messiah should touch the earth because he should be elevated. And so if they couldn't find a palm branch, they put their coats down because he is exalted from earthly things. Save all we believe in you. And Jesus accepts it. The the, the religious leaders heard these people lauding Christ. And and they said to Jesus in, in another account, do you hear what they are saying about you? This is reserved for God. Do you hear this? And Jesus says, yeah, I do. Well, stop them. Well, if I stop them, the rocks will cry out. So the decibel level is not going to decrease. I, I don't know what to tell you. You just have to get used to it. And this is where the religious leaders felt this is our moment. More praise meant more disruption in Jerusalem. More disruption in Jerusalem got Rome nervous because they wanted peace, they didn't want controversy. And so then they could begin, the religious leaders appeal to Rome and say, this guy is a troublemaker. You want peace? Stop him. Though they had no justification for it, this became their reason to appeal to Caesar or to Pilate. And so the table was set for Christ's death. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, but he doesn't stay on the outskirts. He begins to survey at the core. The surface supplication about what the Israelites thought they needed. Jesus was going to address that, but differently than they thought. And he was going to address more than that. He was going straight to the court, to the heart of Jerusalem, to why it is what it is, to the temple, the place that separates it from all the other cities on the planet, worship. And as he goes to the core, remember, he wants wants to touch your employment And those might be the doorways through which he enters. In fact, most of the time, he enters through gates that lead to our heart, but don't start there. Your life has fallen apart in your employment. Your life has fallen apart in your finances. All in the periphery of your life, things are beginning to unravel. And most of us did not wake up one day just in a very orderly manner saying, what a great day. I think I'll give my life to God today. Most of us came a wreck. Something got overturned. Something got jostled. Something went wrong. And we realized, I need God. So he came in through something. But he doesn't plan to stay there just to fix that. He plans to go to the core. He wants your heart. He doesn't just want to fix that. He wants your heart. And as he goes to the temple, it says he... 
He looks around. Takes survey. And the beauty about our God is that he's very patient. He's not wanting anybody to be judged, nor to be condemned. He's very kind. And though things were still going on in the temple that day, it was late in the day. And so folks may have been beginning to wrap up whatever they were doing. Though he could have made a statement that evening, he decided to wait until morning because the next day he would come like he hadn't come to the temple in over three years. He would come overturning tables, uprooting people that had wares that were ostensibly there to help folks worship. So there were people that had lambs, doves. I imagine there were some with oxen because you had to worship with animals, animal sacrifice. And those who weren't herdsmen or shepherds, where were they going to get them? So the temple, if they, it was one-stop shopping. And Jesus was going to upset all of that. Now, he had already done this once at the beginning of his ministry. And it, it, didn't, it didn't resound with great favor among the elite. And now he's going to do it again. And he could have done it that evening. But this was just inspection day. That's all it was. He came in to see what needs to be done. How do I begin to make the proper evaluations and repairs to whatever is wrong? And I imagine he went around all that evening looking at what needed to be done, who's going to set up tomorrow, where he's going to start. He never flies off the handle about anything. He's not impetuous. He is calculating and the issue is not so much that, that he did something really unusual the next day and that he cleared the temple and overturned money changers. And, and the reason he did it was because they were gouging the people and they were, they were taking up the place where people should be praying. You, anybody been to a collegiate or professional sports activity? An arena, stadium? You ever, you, ever, you ever bought a hot dog? A $6.50 hot dog? Just, I'm just mad every time I give him my money. You won't let me bring food in. So I have to pay six. I could buy two eight-packs of hot dogs with the six buns. I'm mad about that, by the way. I'm mad about the six buns and the eight hot dogs. I could buy all of it for six fifty. And you gonna charge me six fifty for one? You want to watch your team play and eat, don't you? Give me the hot dog. They got you. They got you. You're not a herdsman. You're not a shepherd. You don't care for birds. They got you. Lamb would usually cost about hundred dollars, two fifty. You're not just making a little profit. You gouging. Turtle dove, a quarter, thirty-five cents. Got to pay a dollar fifty for that. Jesus was hot. 
He was not only hot, that people were making a whole lot of money off sin. Leveraging people's weakness in order to get rich. He's, He's not happy about that. But they were doing it in the place where folks should be praying. And they would love to pray except there was no room because this guy was making too much money. He was hot. So much so that the next day he said, my my father's house is intended to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Even us, we Gentiles, were supposed to take that place in prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. Get out of my daddy's house. He was hot. Hot. But calculated. Calculated. When I took my three weeks off in February... I spent some time with God, and one thing he said, among the many things he said to me, was that he was coming to our church. Now, that doesn't mean that he is not here already. The Spirit of the Lord is with us, and for that I'm very grateful. We don't deserve his presence. He's just so merciful. So merciful. But when he says he's coming, it generally means he's coming in a way that's not accustomed to his coming. You're you're not used to this. It's a different kind of coming. He said it to the church in Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. I am coming quickly. He said it also to the church of Thyatira in Revelation. I am coming. Now, he was already there because he abides with his people. But it meant he was coming differently. When he said it to me, I thought, great. And I thought, great. (laughs) What for? (laughs) Why, 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 why are you coming? I'm glad you're coming. It's your church. You can do what you want. You can come as often as you want. Stay as long as you want. I'm happy. But is there anything you want to address before you show up? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I'm happy and I'm fearful. Because I want to pass inspection day. You want to pass inspection day. It's not so much what God is going to do today. When he comes, what will he do tomorrow? What will he do tomorrow? I pray you pass inspection day. I don't know when he's coming to your life in an extraordinary way. He's been very merciful and kind and patient with all of our junk. All of our bad attitudes. So much so that you think God winks at your sin. It's not a big deal. He hasn't judged me for it. You confuse his mercy mercy with approval, thinking that he's never going to do anything about that. But one day he's coming. He's coming. And you want to make sure you pass inspection day. Because the next day, if you do not, you won't even know that he was there the day before. You won't have known. And it will be a, a complete surprise that the bridge is out. You run through every side. Bridge out. Bridge out. Bridge out. When he made your engine seize up, you fixed it and kept going through the bridge outsides. When he gave you a flat tire because he mercifully didn't want you to go over the ravine or into it, you fixed the tire and kept driving through the bridge outsides. And you didn't even recognize you were doing it because you had not turned your ear to hear what a little black man on Sunday morning is trying to tell you. 
What God has been trying to tell you through devotions. What your friends have been trying to tell you. What your wife, your husband is trying to tell you. What everybody sees but you ignore. And then what you drive into the ravine. You say this. God, why? I can't believe you let this happen to me. You blame him rather than you. Inspection day allows you the privilege of having him come the next day in worship rather than in judgment. Enjoying what you're presenting to him in worship rather than having to deal with what he shouldn't see, what should not be there, what you don't want to present to him. This is everything about Palm Sunday. It's inspection. It's inspection. And changing the expectations about what God wants to do with you and for you, beginning to comply with his will rather than asking him to participate in yours. Letting him get to the heart down here rather than staying at the periphery. And clean up who you are that you might be most presentable to him. Does he accept you as you are when you come to him? Does he demand that you get cleaned up before you come? No. He always takes you just as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And so he brings you closer and demands that you follow his prescription to get cleaned up so you can become an excellent household member. Somebody who can represent him well in and outside the house. Let's pray.